Welcome, welcome, welcome to the podcast of the Right Reverend Riles. Coming at you today with over 35 years of experience in full-time Christian work, ministry, and church service. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Blessings. to the sixth broadcast on biblical racism. This is going to be a special broadcast. We're going to take a departure from the normal Bible study and messages on racism in the Bible, and we're going to look at revival. I've been led of the Holy Spirit to make this detour and take a look at Black revival or revival in general. Let's go to our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 18. I'm going to read out of verse 7. In that time shall the present be brought unto the Lord of hosts, of a people scattered and peeled, from a people terrible from their beginning hitherto, a nation meted out and trodden underfoot, whose land the rivers have spoiled, to the place of the name of the Lord of hosts the Mount Zion. So let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, I pray that you use me during this podcast to encourage, to uplift, to even challenge, to touch hearts, to change minds, to open eyes, and later hopefully open mouths and embolden people to be strong about their testimony for Christ. For you. So I pray that you would use every word. I pray that the listeners would hang on every word that is spoken and get the enrichment out of this message as it was intended when it was created. May this be a blessing and encouragement to my Black brothers and sisters who are facing a time of bitterness in America. And may this be encouraging to my white brothers and sisters and all other nationalities and be an encouragement to everybody that the best is yet to come and God still has a plan for all of us and he is coming soon but we can still see his blessings and see his kingdom lived here on earth Jesus name I pray to open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law amen the book of Isaiah is very unique being one of the major prophets in the Bible. And he's a major prophet because his book is larger than most of the other prophets who are called the minor prophets. So that would include Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, the three major prophets. Not only are they called major prophets because their books are bigger, which makes sense, but they're called major prophets because of the content that they deliver. They have, they're preaching prophetic sermons mainly to the people of Israel. But of course, that sermon to Israel as a nation could go to 
any nation implied to them. And Isaiah, of course, is unique among the major prophets because he has a great deal of the messianic prophecies, which many times we use at Christmas time in his sermon. But I just want to let you know that Isaiah was a prophet not only to Israel, not only to Judah, the southern king of Israel, and to Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel, but he was also a prophet to the nations. Only other than Jeremiah, who preached to more nations than Isaiah. So we're going to look at the different nations that he preached to. Now, once again, in my previous podcast, you know that God does not deal in race, which is a man-made term. God deals in nationalities. God deals in families. God deals in individuals. So we're going to see here Isaiah, a prophet to the nations, to the people groups that God classified under his organization and not man's. Man goes by phylum, species. God goes by nation, families, groups of people. Tongues is another one that God goes by. So here is Isaiah's preaching to different nations. And each part of the book of Isaiah will cover a different nation. Now, in those nations, Isaiah would give a judgment. In some cases, he also give a blessing. He would tell them the judgment of God was coming. But sometimes he would also tell them if they repented and got right with God, that here is the blessings of God that you can receive. So sometimes he got a double message in Isaiah. Here's the judgment, which most of it was judgment because many nations didn't turn back to God. And here's what's going to happen when you face God's judgment. But if you learn from God's judgment after God's judgment happens, and you repent and turn back to God, sometimes in some of the chapters, Isaiah would say, here's the blessings of God, what happens after God's judgment, okay? Now, the judgments of Isaiah were called burdens. He would lay this burden on you, or the burden of God laid upon you. That was the sign of the judgment. He would introduce those judgments by getting their attention, and he would use the term woe. So you have woe. The woe is the word that often leads to judgment, but woe is the attention getter. A prophet come on the scene and say, woe. And we're like, wow, okay, I need your attention. God's about ready to speak through me, and this is what you need to hear. So the judgments of God were burdens, and the woes were the introduction to those judgments and burdens of God. Let's start and go through here the judgments to the nations in Isaiah. In Isaiah 17, and we're going to come back to Isaiah 18, it's a judgment to Syria. So God judges the nation of Syria. In Isaiah 15 and 16, God judges Moab. In Isaiah 13 and 14, God judges Babylon. In Isaiah 11 and 12 is one of those blessings, if you turn, we have the restoration of Israel. So some also in the book of Isaiah, we have these restorations. It's pictured if the nation turns back to God, or when the nation finally does turn back to God, then a picture is given in Isaiah, and he preaches that. In Isaiah 11 through 12, it's the restoration of Israel. So you can have restoration with judgment, as in Isaiah chapter 9 and 10. It's restoration and also judgment of Israel, okay? Also, you'll note in these chapters that God uses the heathen kingdom of Assyria to correct and punish his people. 
Isaiah 7 and 8 covers the judgment on Ephraim and Samaria. Let me also throw something out to you that's very unique that many people are not aware of. The Bible has many overlays. And what I mean by overlay, going back to the science anatomy class in school, if you remember those books that we had in high school, had a cellophane transparent overlay that they would put on the picture of the anatomy of the muscles. So as you turn each page of the overlay, it would overlay a picture of the muscles on the body, then maybe the lymphatic system, then the circulatory system, then the respiratory system, until the end where you had the whole picture of a man with just his skin off and you see the organs in the bodies. And you can pick up the overlay and turn the pages in the science book and go back to the very first overlay or picture, which was just a skeleton. So the Bible has overlays on them. These overlays do not change the meaning of the Bible or the Bible doctrine, but it does let you see parts of the Bible from a different perspective. If we were to put the overlay of looking for nations and how God deals with nations over the book of Isaiah, this is what we come up with, the study I'm giving you. If you were to overlay the theme of redemption and the Messiah coming to redeem Israel over the book of Isaiah, you would get a different picture idea of the Bible as he deals, as you see Christ in the book of Isaiah. With that, you put a different overlay onto the King James Bible. And by the way, it's actually a King James Bible or a King James translation. It's not really a King James version, like some people say. You know, I know that's the name for it, but it's not really a version like all the other versions of the Bible. The King James Version is actually a translation, but that will be a, a, another lesson on the King James Bible, which I probably should teach because not very many Christians know about that. So if you put an overlay on the Bible, you get a parallel message that you have never seen before. And that's the, why, the reason why if somebody would call me a preacher, they would call me a topical preacher and not an expository preacher. I have many dear friends who are expository preachers, love them all, but I'm more of a topical preacher. And each preacher uses expository and um, topical messages interchangeably, but I, I'm a major on the topical. Because if you put that overlay topics that you're looking for in the Bible as you search the Word of God, not reading anything into the Bible and changing the Bible, but just looking at the themes in the Bible that God himself emphasized, you will get different messages and passages and directions of the Bible. I don't mean different that they're, they contrast, but that they're something that God has said that you may have never seen before. So that's why we're taking a look at this, at the revival in Isaiah, because we put this overlay of the nations that God deals with since the book of Genesis on the book of Isaiah. And now we see some things in Isaiah that we have never seen before. And I have never heard a sermon preached on these things before, and I've heard gazillions of sermons. Okay, back to the lesson. Isaiah 6 is the calling of Isaiah to be an international prophet. And that's an amazing story there. Isaiah chapters one through five deals with the restoration and the judgment of Israel. Let me give you another blessing or truth out of the word of God by using, looking at the Bible through the overlay 
of nations or nation building that God works with. The symbol of blessing for a nation is when all its people in one parade bring gifts, songs, and offerings, praises to Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. We saw this in evidence in 2 Samuel chapter 6. The blessing on a nation, because God deals with nations, so God wants to bless a nation. The blessing on a nation is when that nation is able to have a celebration, a festivity, a party to the Lord God of Israel. And in that party, they would be parades, bands, and they would march from their homes in the city up to Mount Zion, Jerusalem. That would be a time of revival, and God would bless that nation when they did that. During such feasts, and by the way, there were feasts, so there was plenty of food there, and praise and blessing, whole families would dedicate themselves to the Lord. The whole family would be there in the celebration. The whole family would come out and make that march to the city of Zion, to the Mount Zion, singing praises to God. And the entire family would say, we're going to dedicate ourselves to God. Remember, God deals in families. God deals in nations. God deals in tongues, not races, not skin color. Remember that. And not only would families pledge themselves to God, but individuals would pledge not only their offerings, but their whole body, their livelihood to God. And they were not all pledging to be king or pledging to be a preacher like Isaiah, but they're all pledging to use their work, their business, their livelihood, their occupation for the work of the Lord. That's amazing. So anytime in you dealing with nations in the Bible, as God deals with nations, you see God saying, I'm going to bring this nation, didn't have to be Israel, I'm going to bring this nation to Mount Zion. That was a picture of blessing and revival coming on that nation. Could the blessings of marching to Mount Zion be given to other nations besides Israel? And of course, the answer is yes. So once again, when you're studying the Bible and you see that these people are marching or are going to Zion, then you know that is a section of passage where God says this nation, even though they are not Israel, can receive the blessings of God if they do these things in obedience to God. Very important points. Remember those. Let's go on. Isaiah chapters 18, 19, and 20, we'll come back to them because that will be Egypt and Ethiopia and Cush. Isaiah 21 and 22 is Babylon and Arabia, judgment on them. Isaiah 23 is judgment on Tyre. Isaiah 24 is all nations. Isaiah 25 through 33 is Israel. Isaiah 34 and 35 is all nations again. Isaiah 36 to 39 is the story of Hezekiah. Very interesting that Hezekiah is in between the story and who Hezekiah fought with, but read that for yourself. Isaiah 40 through 46 is blessings and judgments for all nations. If you take place in the blessings, you get the blessings, become a blessed nation. If you do not and turn against God, you get the judgments, you become a, oh, let me say this too, by the way, judgments, the judgments of God on a nation, get this, 
It's going to be shocking to hear this. It's in the Bible. When a nation turns against God, the one of the first judgment he gives to them is slavery. Wow. Doesn't that change world history for you? In spite of what you heard in your college or Bible college or public college, whatever you heard about world history, using Bible, what God's in the Bible, God's first judgment on a nation, if they turn against him, is he puts that nation in slavery. Changes black history, doesn't it? Changes black world history. It's because you haven't been taught out of the word of God. The second judgment God give, puts on a nation, if they turn against him, is military conquest. And of course, in that military conquest, that military conquest will lead to slavery. Oh man, there's so much I could say right now, but this would take us down too many rabbit trails, too many things to be taught. I mean, the Bible is rich in knowledge and history and truth. It's just that these sky pilots, which my name for the traditional black preacher that only preaches on one certain thing, but not to get the people to live in freedom, because so many of my black folks are living in major American cities and they're living in squalor and poverty, but they got churches on every corner and the preachers are preaching the word, at least they say they are, but my people are not free from sin and bondage, slavery, welfare, gov government, you name it. Okay, I'd say, let me go on. Isaiah 45 is, once again, we saw Assyria being used to judge God's people. Now here's anointed, anointed, by the way, Cyrus, king of the media Persians. Oh, there's so much in there too, man. There's only a certain amount of people that were anointed in the word of God, that God said, personally, I anointed them. And it's not all God's people. And often these anointed ones that were heathen were used to judge God's people. Okay, Isaiah 47 is judgment on Babylon. Isaiah 48 through 50 is blessings and judgments for all nations. Isaiah 51 through 54 is messianic, beautiful passages there. Isaiah 55 through 66 is all nations, blessings and judgments. If we could have a president of the United States and a White House and a Senate and a Congress and a representatives and government, and we could have a uh, Supreme Court that would read the book of Isaiah and follow the judgments of God and the blessings of God from the book of Isaiah on how God says he deals nations, America would be a blessed country, more blessed than it is, it is now. But we are going into a period of judgment because America's turning from God. We'll be able to go turn back away from Satan and turn back to God and see God revive America. And I'm not talking about spiritual. I'm talking about government revival. By the way, which happened, some of you don't know this. The Bible is not necessarily a spiritual book. The Bible is a book of kingdoms and governments and how God dealt with those kingdoms and governments. Ooh, I did not have time to go over that, but that is so rich. Okay, let's go on here. I just got to point number one. That was all my introduction. Point number one, every nation gets their chance to rule. Okay, now this point, I'm not gonna use as much Bible on this point, 
because a lot of this is my study and a lot of this will be my supposition and my thinking. So I'm telling you that ahead of time, but it's going to give you a picture of the word of God that I got out of just studying the word of God. Okay. I don't have very much, many Bible verses or doctrine on this, even though I'll point to some verses, but take a look at what I found out of the word of God. Let's go to Genesis chapter 10 and verse six. This is the table of nations. I've already talked about it in a previous podcast. So if you want to look at my detail on the table of nations, I'm going to go at a table of nations from a different direction now. But look at Genesis 10, verse six. And the sons of Ham, Ham being the father of the African black people, Cush and Mizram, Foot and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba and Havilah. And the Bible tells us in the land of Havilah, there is gold. Oh, man, can't stop there. And Sabta and Ramah and Sabtaka, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba and Dedan. Remember the queen of Sheba that came to see Solomon. Now get this, verse eight, and Cush beget Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erach, Akkad, and Kauna in the land of Shinar. I'm, I need to do another lesson just talking about Nimrod and Babylon. But you'll see right there that the first kingdom, get this now, this is going to shock you, make the socks roll up and down your leg. The first kingdom mentioned in the Bible was the kingdom of Babylon under Nimrod, Genesis 10, 9. Isn't that something? The first emperor. Emperor is a king of kings, a ruler of rulers. The first emperor named in the Bible was Nimrod. And Nimrod was the son of Cush. And Cush was the son of Ham. Does that sound like to you that the Hamites are cursed and therefore God made them black. So they're a cursed people to be slaves forever. Does that sound like that to you? Because that does not sound like that to me. The first kingdom ruler was Ham, Cush, Nimrod. Boom. Changes everything, doesn't it? We listen too much to the world and not enough to the word. I have a friend preacher that says, you need to get the L out of your mind, the difference between world and word. So wherefore it said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, verse nine, verse 10, and the beginning of his kingdom, there it was, Nimrod had a kingdom, was one city, no, get this, was Babel. That was the Sumerian kingdom. Look it up in your world history books about the Sumerians, the first kingdom, and it'll give you some more idea of what their life was like. But that was it right there, Babel, Babylon. But it wasn't just one city, it was several. His kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kauna in the land of Shinar. Out of that land, out of Nimrod's kingdom, verse 11, it says, out of that land went forth Asher, and build it Nineveh, and the city Rehoboth, and Kalna. So Nineveh, remember Nineveh in, in the Bible, great kingdom. So these are not just 
cities, little cities that form together to form like a kingdom with a castle and that's it and a moat and servants around. These are actual major metropolitan areas and Nimrod put them all together and they all were ruled by him. Uh, is Nimrod cursed? He was because he was in the way of the Lord, in front of the Lord, getting in God's way. So he was cursing that life, but not like we've been told in the past before about the curse on black people. I mean, I'm just not, I'm reading my Bible right here and I'm just not seeing it. In fact, I'm seeing the exact opposite that the black people in the Bibles were kings and rulers, especially when they served God. That was verse 10, verse 12. And resin between Nineveh and Kalna, the same is a great city. Once again, I'll let you know there, they're not little podunk towns. The Bible even says these are great cities, all built by Nimrod and Asher, one of the followers of Nimrod. And verse 13, Mizram, who was the, the uh, Hamite, the black man, if you will, who settled Egypt, Northern Africa, begat Ludum and Amadin and Lebedin and Naphilim and Pasturim and Caslim and out of whom came Philistim. That's a mind blower. And Capthorum. Where does that name sound like? Philistim. The Philistines. The Philistines were a Hamatic people. The Philistines, Goliath. Now you understand why they were giant, because many of the Hamatic black people were huge, tall, big men. Oh, so much more I could say about that, but let me go on. That was the first world ruler. So the first kingdom that was set up in Bible history was set up and God said, okay, the Hamites, world rulers or spiritual leaders, could have been spiritual leaders too, we're going to let you rule. So it's your chance. Hamites could go out there and rule. It's your chance. See what you can do. Rule the world. See if those peop these people you can get the people to follow me. So sometimes they were uh, world rulers or spiritual leaders. In the case of Nimrod, an evil spiritual ruler. You have those too, as well as evil government ruler. The second world rulers was Shem. So Ham, you got the first chance to rule the world. Huh? Didn't work out. You messed it up. Now the, I'm going to give somebody else a chance. I'm going to give one of the other brothers of Noah, sons of Noah, a chance. And that'll be Shem. Shem, you get the chance next. Shem, you go to rule the world, see what you can do. And so we see in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 12, the ruling of Shem. And also 2 Samuel chapter 8, where Shem rules. And of course, Shem is the Hebrew line, which is David and Solomon. And Shem did a very good job, did the best out of all the three brothers in ruling and trying to bring about God's kingdom on earth. That was a plan. But even Shem, David, Solomon, and their line messed it up. Okay. God says, we tried Ham. We tried Shem. Let's try Japheth. Japheth will give you a chance to rule the world and see what you do with it. So the third world rulers were the Japhethites. And you can see that in Matthew 2, 1, and Luke 3, 1, where the Roman Empire rules the world. Those were the Europeans, Mediterranean, Slavic Japhethites. Each son of Noah had a chance to rule the world. Isn't that amazing? And once again, this is my study of the Word of God, things that jumped on me, the Word of God. I do not have definite Bible verses and Bible words on this. I'm just trying to get you to see the Word of God from a different 
perspective than you preach and talk. Now, how can you say black folks are cursed when we used to be world rulers? Good question, right? That was number one. Number two, the Hebrews came the closest to God's kingdom on earth, but even they messed it up. Point three, the pattern goes Ham, Shem, them Japheth with each nation ruling. So Ham got the first chance to rule, Shem got the second chance to rule, and Japheth got the third chance to rule. And when I mean rule, I mean ages. These guys rule to the ages, not just 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. These guys rule for hundreds or thousands of years. These guys were world rulers. Somebody from their family line was king and in charge of the known world. Point number four, following that pattern, whose turn is it next to rule? If God's going through this pattern of Ham rules, then Shem rules, then Japheth rules. If we follow that very same pattern to be a world ruler or a spiritual leader to influence spiritual Christianity throughout the ages, who gets the next chance? 